you? Oh, man, some days. I know. It's like the, it's like the week after Easter. You're like, eh, you know, no worship team. You know, I get it. How are you today? All his promises are still true. Amen? Because he rose from the grave. Let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Our title today is What is Marriage? Uh, today we begin a three-part series as we look at that topic and as you look at our world today, biblical marriage is under attack. And throughout time, marriage has been belittled, dishonored, mystified, misdefined, and sometimes outright cast aside. And although marriage is not ultimate, nonetheless, it is extremely important. And as followers of Christ, married or not, we are all called to honor Marriage, Hebrews 13, 4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Therefore, because we are called to honor, it is vital that we understand what marriage is and what it is not. And let's just remember that when it comes to marriage, there is one authority on the issue. The world regardless of what the law says, has no right to define what marriage is or decide who can marry who. You and I have no say in this matter. God doesn't have us on speed dial to make sure that he doesn't offend us in what he has set up as absolute truth. He does what he knows is best. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning we need to humble ourselves when it comes to this topic of marriage. We must submit to his word. I'm going to speak boldly on this topic of marriage, and we have to understand that some of us have a broken view or have experienced the brokenness of marriage. However, we still need to understand what is God's best when it comes to marriage. So I know when you talk about Marriage, that there are different people in the room who respond differently. Perhaps there are some single people in this room who are longing to be married. Perhaps you've been praying for years and have been on the doorstep and then have, have find that just, just fall out from underneath you and you here you remain single. And the last thing you want to talk about is be reminded of the fact that you are single. Let, let me just remind you that you are a full, complete person in Christ. Marriage does not make us any better than anybody else. You are complete in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. So there is hope for you. And let me remind you, you are called to honor marriage. So may this be an encouragement to you. And at minimum, I pray that this would lead you to pray for the marriages of those around you. Perhaps there are some here who are in a broken marriage. And the last thing you want to think about is having to have to stay in. You're looking for a way out. My prayer for you is that you would find the truth of God's word to comfort you in this. That you would find the truth of God's word maybe to bring conviction in an area of your life where maybe you're not the main reason why things are falling apart, but certainly maybe God has something for you to work in your marriage. May you honor marriage through this and may he bring life and breathe life into your marriage through the way that you are handling it. And perhaps there are some of you here who have tasted divorce and it's not something that you wanted it's not something that you pursued but for whatever reason your former spouse chose to break it off and and you can find yourself disgruntled this morning 
you can find yourself unbelieving in marriage. You can find yourself heartbroken. For that, let me just say I'm sorry. But I also want to remind you that you can honor marriage this morning. Marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is created by God. And so it is vital for all of us this morning to honor marriage, to look at what Scripture says and to hold firm to what it says. Marriage matters. If you've been with us long enough, you know that we are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's going to look a little different today. Usually what we do is, is camp out primarily in one text of Scripture, but just due to the topic of defining marriage, it, it really doesn't give us the full picture So in this passage. So we're going to be looking at many different places this morning, but we're going to start with Ephesians 5. So why don't you follow with me as I read, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, the, this opportunity that we've already had to Sing of the fact that, Lord, one name is higher, stronger, greater than every other name, the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we find ourselves, for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, redeemed by his blood. And so, Lord, thank you for that hope. Thank you for that. All your promises in Scripture, we find their yes in Christ. And, Lord, this morning we are... We are diving into something that can bring a lot of pain, but yet, Lord, we must acknowledge that marriage is from you. You are the definer. You are the creator of it. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your word, Lord. That we would honor marriage the way you've called us to, Lord. That, that through your word, you would transform the hearts of the people here. That they would live out their marriage in a way that glorify, glorifies you. And for, Lord, for those who are single, that, Lord, if, if it's preparation, God, help them to prepare well. Lord, if it's, if it's just to pray over the marriages around them, Lord, because you may not have marriage, God, just move in your midst, in our midst this morning by your power. Lord, draw us near to yourself. Lord, I find great encouragement knowing that we're two or more gathered in your name, you're surely with us. Lord, I find great hope also knowing that when the word is proclaimed, it does not return to you void. And so, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So let's, let's look at this text to start with, and I want to lay out three truths about marriage for us. Three truths about marriage. The first one is found in verse 22. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So as we look at that, i got a tough question for you. Who are the first two people mentioned here in the text? Wives and husbands. Wives and husbands. Here's truth number one for you. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. Biblical marriage is between one man and one woman. This was not a surprise to the church in Ephesus. This, this would not have been popping truth, like eye-popping truth to them. Wouldn't have caught them off guard when it came to marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Unfortunately, in today's world, this is not even specific enough. Biblical marriage is between a biological male and a biological female. So the Greek word for wife means adult woman. What do you think the Greek word for husband is? Adult male. Marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman. Nowhere in scripture do we see biblical marriage in any other way that honors the Lord except for marriage between one man and one woman. And this is something that God set from the beginning of time. This is not new. This is all throughout scripture. And to see this, let's just jump back to the beginning. So turn your Bibles to, uh, keep a mark here, we'll be all around. But let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's just see how God laid it out in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. The scriptures say this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So first of all, take note here. Who's made in the image of God? We all are. Male and female, we're all created in the image of God. Of God, male and female. This means that we are equal in value. There's, there's, you're not better if you're born a male. We are all equal in the eyes of God, yet we are distinct, are we not? We are very distinct. Even though the world may want to try to flip-flop and reverse it, we are distinctly different as male and female. How did God make us? He made us distinctly male. He made us distinctly female. My wife is clearly a female. I'm clearly a male. We don't, we don't, we're not going to get into gender this morning, but biblically speaking, there are two genders, male and female. Anything else flies in the face of what God created. God decided that we would be male and female. He doesn't need our opinions. He's not asking for it. He doesn't give us a choice. He doesn't let us go with our feelings. He has declared it at conception what male and female is. I will say this. If you, if you struggle with sexual identity, let, let me encourage you to don't allow your feelings to lead you betray. I mean, just think about how crazy our emotions can be for all of us. 
How many crazy things would we have done if we allowed our emotions to control us? And so I want you to look at the truth of God's word and let that transform how you view yourself and how you view marriage. And, and let's look also at verse 28 here. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me ask you from a scientific point of view, who needs to be together in order to conceive a child? A man and a woman. You can't bring a man and man together to have that happen. You can't bring a woman and woman together to have that happen. So you look at you look at even scientifically God is a God of order. It's very simple. It's very easily seen and, and clear in scripture. He's created us uniquely male and female. That is the only way that procreation could take place. And so if if God would define marriage is between a man and woman, then why would he change his mind if he created us for a purpose? Why, why would he change the definition? No, the definition of marriage, biblically speaking, is between a man, a man and a woman. Now let, let's turn a, a page or two over to Genesis chapter 2 for our second truth. Look at verse 23. Genesis 2 verse 23. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's truth number two. Biblical marriage is a holy covenant. Biblical marriage is a holy covenant when when god brought eve to adam it was something holy Here, here's what holy means it doesn't mean spiritual holy means set apart it means different from everything else no other relationship compares to the relationship of marriage it's a holy sacred covenant where two people become one it's holy and it's meant for a lifetime until death do us part. Verse 23 is a, is a poem spoken by Adam. I mean, think about it. Before this, what was he doing? Before Eve came into the picture, what was he doing? He was naming all the animals. They're coming by, and he's noticing them. They're like, dog, cat, possum. And, and he's like, no helper was found for him. What, what was the first thing that, was, that God called bad this is before the fall happened. What was the first thing that God called bad? Not good that man should be alone. So no, suit, no, no helper was suitable for him. He's walking through all these animals. like, none of these like, belong to me. Believe it or not, dog is not man's best friend, all right? Can we stop saying that? <laughs> he, he's longing for something else. And God's like, I got you. I got you, Adam. Take a rest. Puts him to sleep. Grabs his rib creates Eve, breathes life into her, wakes Adam up, like, Adam, I got something for you. And, and then and Eve comes before Adam, and Adam is just like, oh, wow, now this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's overcome with the beauty of woman that God 
created for him. Marriage is a covenant where a man joins a woman and they become one flesh. Verse 24, we saw right in Ephesians chapter 5. And in marriage, we make this transition. We go from being under our parents to clinging to our spouse. We, we leave our father and our mother. Now listen, I love my parents. And both of our sets of parents are highly involved in our lives. But there had to be a point where we left them. We were no longer under them. We had to separate them to where no longer could my parents be the most significant relationship in my life. And, and, and as a father, and as a father, like it's, that emotion is becoming more overwhelming. How many of you know what it's like to send a child off? It's like, it's like wait a minute here. This is not as fun <laughs> as I remember leaving house. However, there has, we have to let it go because they have chosen to take this holy covenant to be joined together to become one. It's not forsaking all others except for mother. It's forsaking all others. We come together. It's a holy covenant before God. And it should never be severed by divorce. Divorce is a hot topic in the church, is it not? And often what I see is that people aren't looking for a way to stay in the marriage. They're looking for a way to get out. So we often look at scripture, like even when it comes to sin, well, how close can I get to the line before it's sinful? And what we're asking for, like, what, like, can I get a divorce? Because if I get a divorce, then I'm free from this. And I don't have to worry about the hard relationship that I am. And really what we need to do is humble ourselves. And I just want to say here, I am not going to exhaust by any case, this topic of divorce. And it's best left making sure that we seek out godly counsel because this is a hard topic. But let's just look at scripture and see what it has to say. Malachi 2.16 says this. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirits. And do not be faithless. If you have a different version, like the NASB, it says God hates divorce. This is, this is not something that God wanted to make a way to get out of, and he was wishy-washy about it. Even Jesus said this when he walked the earth in Matthew 19, verse 8. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. God never made marriage with the intention that one day you could break it off if, if you needed to go find yourself. Marriage is intended for a lifetime, meant to devote yourself to one person for the rest of your lives. This is God's design for marriage. So we must understand, no matter what you've been through, there's redemption for you. But we got to understand what God's best is. God's best is for one man to stay married for one woman for their entire lifetime together. Till death. Do they part? So is divorce okay then? Well, as we see here, it's, it's not God's best. The only reason Moses gave it was because of hardness of heart. Yet there are reasons that we see in Scripture. Matthew 19, the next verse, verse 9. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So clearly we see here that God gives a way out because of hardness of hearts, if there is sexual infidelity within a marriage. And I, and I would say this, 
listen, I, I, first of all, I, I can't think of anything more defeating, more damaging than having your spouse cheat on you. I, I can't imagine that. How, however, like the only choice is not divorce. That's not the only choice that you have. Pursue the Lord in it before you make that decision. So one permissible reason for getting divorced is sexual immorality. But uh, there's another reason that we see in Scripture. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, once again, a book that Paul wrote, uh, speaks a lot about marriage here in this text. 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 10. Let me read that for us here. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. This again is God saying, don't do it. If there's any way that you can stay together, stay together. Don't split up. Don't divorce. You shouldn't do it. Verse 12 goes on to say, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. So Paul's saying, this is, this is me speaking now. The Lord says, stay together. I'm saying this, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So we're going to get into the talk of, of uh, being unequally yoked. But when we're already married, that conversation is a little bit different. Actually, it's a lot different. What he's saying here is if you are married to an unbeliever, as a husband, then stay with it if she wants to. Don't give up on this. Even though you're different, even though you don't have the same values, persist in this relationship. Same thing he says for a woman married to an unbelieving husband. Verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy like stay together why because i'm watching over you god says i got you in this don't pursue separation if the other person is not wanting to separate but verse 15 if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god has called you to be to peace for how do you know wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife so, so here we see, first of all, unfaithfulness is grounds where you can get divorced. And if your spouse abandons you as a believer, that there's grounds for divorce. If, if, you, if you are wanting to make it work and they're not and they're like, I'm out, there's peace for you to allow divorce to come and take place. And I'll also say this. If you are in a relationship right now that is abusive, the last thing I would ever tell for you is to stay with them. I'm not saying whether or not you should get divorced, but you need to find yourself and get safe. And if the abuse consists over and over again, they've abandoned you for all intensive purposes. You need to keep safe. Do not let an abusive husband tell you wives that Bible says to submit, because if they're calling you to submit to them in un unbiblical ways, then you have grounds to not submit to your husband. We'll talk about that later. But we want to make sure, ladies, I, I've seen the church fail in this area for the sake of staying married. Get yourself in a safe place. Seek the help of godly men and women. I'm not, again, I'm not saying get divorced, but I'm saying get yourself in a safe place. 
really what we need to take away from this is we need to remember marriage is a holy covenant that we must take seriously. We cannot approach this flippantly. We can't approach this, well, if, you know, if this marriage doesn't work out, I can go get married to somebody else. Now, if anything we should take away is like we should approach the topic of divorce soberly. Here's another thing that I think can also help in preparation for marriage. That is, before we are married. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this really speaks to remembering that marriage is a holy covenant. Marriage is a holy covenant. Therefore, we need to be careful whom we choose to marry. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14. Do not... Be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. There's holiness. Be separate. That's holy living. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Believers in Christ, let me point you back to verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked. When it comes to marriage, we have to take this seriously. Do not jump into marriage where you are not on the same page spiritually. Now, let me define that. Same page doesn't mean that you are equally as spiritual as one another. You're on the same page. You can speak Greek and Hebrew equally together. That's not the same page. The same page I'm speaking of is you have both repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, and therefore God is number one. I mean, think about it this way. If you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, what should be the most important thing to you? Your relationship with God. Above all things. As believers, we know that is ultimately the only relationship that will matter in eternity. Marriage is temporary. Our relationship with God is eternal. And so if this is the most important thing for us, then why would we in union connect with somebody who doesn't hold that same priority? The scriptures say all over, let everything you do, do be what? Be for the glory of God. You can't be married together, equally living for the glory of God, if you are marrying somebody who is not a believer in Christ. I mean, this is what it says here. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Listen, we've got to be careful here, because I've seen people respond with holier than thou. Like, th this is a sobering reality. Look. You want a relationship with me. I just got to be honest with you. There is nothing that matters to me more than Jesus Christ. And I cannot faithfully marry someone like you because it's, it doesn't fit my priorities. That doesn't make me better than you. Like my, I pray that you would come to faith and repentance in Christ. But I can't do this because Jesus is all important to me. And if he's not for you, then it's just going to be, it's really a mess for both partners, isn't it? <laughs> like if you are a believer married to somebody who doesn't love Jesus, 
It is a train wreck. But the same is true always. Then you're always trying to beg your spouse to come to church. Come to church. Come to church. And it becomes like this crazy fiction, friction. But here's the thing. You can stop that by not being unweakly yoked in the first place. And this starts before marriage. This starts when you think about who you date. That you choose to follow and make sure the person that you are about to go on your first date with is somebody who is a believer in Jesus Christ. I'll never forget uh, Nikki telling me the story of one of her friends in college who confessed to be a believer, started dating an unbeliever, and Nikki's like, what are you doing? And she's like, that's no big deal. It's not like we're going to get married, were his, her exact words. A couple years later, they get married, they bring a child into the world, and shortly after that, they divorce. All of that could have been avoided if they would have understood, I can't be unequally yoked. It, it is hard for me to fathom why I would join in union of marriage with someone who doesn't hold the most important thing to me. It's not like you're a Notre Dame fan and you meet somebody who's an Ohio State fan, although I think that would be really hard myself. <laughs> like you can work that out, right? It doesn't matter. There's no football in heaven. There's no picking sides. There's only Team Jesus in heaven. But, but you got to be careful that when it comes to the most important thing, that you understand marriage is a holy covenant, and you can't mix sin with holiness. Biblical marriage is a holy covenant. Do not look lightly on that commitment. Let's turn back to Ephesians 5. Look at verse, let's see here. I want to start reading in verse 25. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This really ties in with the fact that biblical marriage is a holy covenant. But here's truth number three. Biblical marriage shows the world Christ's love for the church. Biblical marriage shows the world the gospel. I mean, this is speaking of the role of a husband, and it gets into Christ. We're going to talk about the role of the husband next week. But, but really, it's, it's, it's talking about this mystery. No other relationship around is like this. This is, the, this is the one picture that God gives to the world of what his love for the church looks like. And it's the way a Christian man should love his Christian wife. Marriage is a holy covenant so how did jesus love the church when, when what comes to mind when you think of that relationship what word 
defines Christ's love. I mean, you, you could go through a lot, but one of the top of my list, when I think especially of marriage, the word forgiveness comes to mind. Forgiveness. This means that our marriages should be marked by forgiveness. I mean, think about it this way. What did we do to deserve Christ's forgiveness? We sinned, right? <laughs> Here's our sin. That's all I have to offer, and I get forgiveness in return. Through our faith and repentance in Christ, we receive forgiveness. This is how our relationships are to be. But here's what happens. When we choose to stay bitter towards our spouse, when we choose not to grant forgiveness, this is in essence what we are saying. Hey, you know what, honey? I deserve Christ's forgiveness. But you don't even deserve mine. Do you see how, how ludicrous that is? As believers to harbor bitterness against our spouse? Do you see the picture that that portrays to the world? Oh, you're a believer, huh? And that's the way you talk about your spouse? Okay. Marriage is a picture. Let me remind you what Hebrews 13, 4 says. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Does your marriage look like 1 Corinthians 13? Because see, honoring marriage does not just mean that you put up with your spouse. That's, that's not honoring. We don't just stay in a marriage. Staying in a marriage doesn't honor Christ if it's done so despite the other person. If it's done so in hatred towards the person that you're with. I know people, like, here's the sad part. Statistics would show, even in the church, that almost 50% of first marriages end in divorce. What, what forgiveness is seen when we're doing exactly what the world does? And I've seen in churches, even if it isn't divorce, I've seen married couples dishonor marriage. Nikki was, uh, we were newly married, and you know, you got the, you got the honeymoon phase, and uh, she joined a Bible study, and she really loved being married. I mean, look, look who she got to marry, right? Uh, and, and truthfully, no, we, we love, and, and we still love, we love being married. We love being together. And so she's excited to be learning from some ladies in the church, and uh, they're, they're talking. I don't know what the conversation was like, but she was just sharing how much she loves being married and, and what a joy it is. And, and then one of the ladies, one of the Christian ladies, one of the older, wiser Christian ladies is like, oh, just you wait. The honeymoon's going to end, and that's when you're going to find out it's not all roses. Now listen, th there might be some wisdom in, in pointing out like there will be challenges, but to me that is completely dishonoring marriages. Why, why would you say that? Listen, we've been married for almost 20 years, and they're, they're, we have not gone through this extended season where we couldn't stand each other. We, we have loved being married. It's not perfect. We sin against each other. We have struggles. But never would I ever tell a new, a new a person getting married or newly married, I'll just wait. Brothers and sisters, that does not honor marriage. What she said was not helpful to be aware of the battles. It was just like, wait, he's going to screw you over and you're going to be angry about it. Like, that's just the way it is. That's the way marriage is. It's kind of how she said it. 
And, and the world is far worse than that. Now, I'm not up to date on the today's TV series because I've just kind of given up hope. But growing up, like how many TV series are there where the husband is just made to look like this bozo who had no clue of what he's doing and the women were just making fun of their husbands all the time? But here's, a, here's another way we can dishonor marriage. Not only speaking badly of our spouse, but when we decide, oh, we're going to play married, but we're not going to actually get married. So we're going to move in. We're going to get together. We're going to test drive to see if this is something that we want to drive. I see this in the church. Like, this is, this is a new thing for me, and I get it. Look, look, I get it. They're seeing their parents whose marriages are terrible and awful in the name of Jesus. And so, like, I don't want to get into that, so I'm going to test drive this. But that, that's dishonoring marriage. Marriage is a commitment. Guess what? You are marrying a broken sinner. You will face conflict. Sometimes the alternator will go out. And you will have to spend extra time fixing the car. You're not marrying a car that is going to drive perfectly forever. Because we're both sinners. Dave Harvey wrote a book, and I love the title. It says, When Sinners Say I Do. <laughs> And this is why we need to remember that our marriage is a picture of the gospel. That we are so overwhelmed by Christ's forgiveness for us. How could I treat my wife differently? How could I treat my husband differently for you ladies? But let me ask you, what gospel picture are you painting for those around you? When it comes to the water cooler conversations at your work, are you participating in husband or wife bashing? When it comes to small group, when you break up men and women, do your prayer requests, are they, are they actually prayer requests? Are they opportunities for you to have people pray for your messed up spouse? Whenever that happens, I always try to turn it on. What, what, what do you need to learn? What is God teaching you? Where do you need to repent? Brothers and sisters, don't participate even in Christian conversations where they just want to bash their spouse. It's not helpful. You don't have the whole story. A story seems right until you hear the other side, the Proverbs would say. What picture are you proclaiming? When you are around other people, are, is your spouse the butt of every joke? Guys, when you hang around other guys and some woman comes by and everybody wants to talk about how hot she is. Are you participating in that or are you speaking against it? I've had those conversations. Like, look, God has given me my wife and the last thing I want to do is be checking out somebody else. I love the one who God gave me. Don't be afraid to speak up. The world needs to see that. Don't do it arrogantly. We're not better because of that. But the world needs to see that there's a better way. Does the spirit of God not dwell in you? Man, may he move in us that we would honor our spouses, that we would be slow to say anything negative and make sure we, we build them up publicly. Biblical marriage shows the world Christ's love for the church. Are you honoring marriage? Are you portraying the gospel in the way that you treat one another both publicly and privately? Here's a question. Ask your kids. What do you see in mom and dad's marriage? Do we honor the gospel? Do we honor Christ in the way that we treat one another? There's a question that might 
lead to repentance. So here, here's how I want to end this morning. Uh, one of our core values is fervent prayer. So I'm going to ask some of you to be bold here. Uh, we're going to have some time to pray kind of more in groups, but we're going to start by praying together out loud. Huh? You think marriage matters? Is marriage important? Whether you're single or not, marriage is extremely important, and it's, in a, it's on attack, and the church often falls prey, not speaking big church, but like in the way that we live our lives, we can dishonor marriage. So I just, I'm looking for three people, at least one guy, at least one lady, who would be willing to pray for our marriages, but I'd like three people. So just raise your hand if you do, I'll call you out. Bo, you can go first. Two more, come on, don't be afraid. I got all day, so. Isaac, second, we need a lady, third. And you can go last. All right, Bo, go ahead, start us, and then I'll close this after all that. And then we'll have time to pray separately.
Father, thank you for those here, Lord, and I specifically want to lift up now those who are single and, and maybe, Lord, even those who may find themselves divorced here, God, that, uh, first of all, I don't want to take away any, any need for repentance, may you grant that, Lord, but I also, uh, specifically those who are divorced, if there's a temptation to uh, condemnation, Lord, that you would remind them there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, that redemption is available for all of us, Lord, who who turn to you. And Lord, for those who are single, those who are longing to be married, Lord, I pray that you would remind them that marriage is not ultimate. God, that we are complete in and of ourselves because of Christ, not because of any other person. And so, Lord, protect us from, even those who are married, from putting marriage above you. Lord, for putting our spouse above you, for putting ourselves above you, putting our kids, as was mentioned, Lord, above you. Lord, we, man, we need you. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes, Lord. Holy Spirit, move. Bring conviction where we need conviction, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.